Welcome to Center Stage with international opera star Pamela Kuhn. And now, here is your host, Pamela Kuhn. And the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. Cambodia, country of marvels. The Angkor Wat Temple, the dancing, the storytelling, and of course, the memories of the genocide of the Khmer Rouge. I must admit that it is a country that I knew little about until quite recently. My dedication in covering the current exhibition at the Flynn Gallery at Greenwich Library has yielded me a profound and fascinating immersion into the understanding of the Cambodian people and their stories as told through art and music. I am speaking of the Flynn's recent installation of Cambodian art by 11 contemporary artists called Cambodia, Looking Back to the Future. But what the Flynn Gallery is doing is much more than exhibiting 11 artists. It is an outpouring of love and support for a country that is much overlooked for the resplendent modern art, filmmaking, music, and literature that is emerging. Curators Deborah Fram and Barbara Richards from the Flynn and Dana Langlois of Java Arts, a gallery in Phnom Penh, have put together a riveting combination of visual art, film, lectures, and a performance of traditional Cambodian music played on traditional instruments. I attended the opening and found a wealth of support and excitement from many who have been to Cambodia, and they have experienced a country that, through its art, is trying to make peace with the past. The Flynn is taking a deep look into the complex message of artists who are visually tracing a historical message. But the jewel in the crown for me has been the opportunity to meet with one man who has shaken the world through his support and love of Cambodian music and art while forcing all of us to have a social conscience about much more than Cambodia. Arn Chorn Pond is a spokesman in a campaign to stop cruelty worldwide. He was a child of the Khmer Rouge regime, forced to work child labor camps, and eventually forced to hold a gun and kill when the Vietnamese invaded. Quite simply, music saved his life. He was taught by one of the oldest music masters of Cambodia to play flute and hammer dulcimer. The soldiers of the Khmer Rouge regime had him play to drown out the noise of those behind him being murdered. Some of those were his friends, young children, Like himself, they were trying to survive in an atrocity-filled environment of hate and starvation. His story is recounted in the marvelous book, Never Fall Down, by prize-winning author Patricia McCormick. McCormick, who fearlessly tackles harrowing themes in her young adult novels, draws upon Arne Chornpon's experiences as a survivor within the genocide of the Cambodian Nightmare. And more than that, she helped him retrace his heroic escape through the jungle as he walked 400 kilometers to freedom in Thailand. He found safety in a Thai refugee camp where he was cared for by the American Red Cross. He was emaciated and seriously ill. It was there that he would meet and fall into the arms of American minister Peter Pond, who saved the boy and eventually adopted him and brought him to the United States. Arne's journey since has been filled with anger about his past, coping with loss and the work of personal rehabilitation while helping other Cambodians remember their legacy. On the urging of his father, he started to speak to groups about his past and the need for people worldwide to understand the plight of refugees. 
This culminated in his work with gang members in his newly adopted country, while he himself was the target of derision and prejudicial behavior from his schoolmates. His own catharsis started when he was inspired to heal the minds and hearts of those around him in teaching passion and caring for those who are misunderstood. He has been the recipient of the 1988 Reebok Human Rights Award and the 1991 Amnesty International Human Rights Award. He is also the subject of Jocelyn Glatzer's 2003 film documentary, The Flute Player. Now, after his return to Cambodia and his immersion in his work of preserving the legacy of Cambodian art, he started Cambodia Living Arts, a huge machine of a foundation that is taking music and instruments to children and finding purpose for Cambodia through cherishing and rebuilding their traditional art and allowing modern art to tell their story. There is much to tell here. The Flynn Gallery has been a trailblazer with the largest Cambodian art exhibition in the United States. Let us begin with the words of Dana Langlois of Java Arts in Phnom Penh. Dana has been instrumental in gathering the artists for this show as she has lived and worked for the past 20 years in Cambodia, a country she has learned to love with a passion and truly understands. Please forgive the background noise as this was at the opening gala night of the exhibition. One of the whole reasons why we put together this show is to illuminate kind of the complexities of contemporary Cambodian society. We wanted to show people something beyond what, what they may already be familiar with, like the Angkor temples and, of course, the horrible history with the Khmer Rouge. We wanted to go more than that. So um, that was, that's why we brought together so many different artists. There's 11 artists here in this show, and they range kind of in age and generation and in their experience from also the war, but also after the war. But it, it, although it's not our main focus, it still becomes a kind of an anchor point in many ways because it, it, it's unavoidable. It's one of those things that had such a huge impact on the country and on many people. So it's kind of hard not to talk about it. But again, we wanted to go into a little more of the nuance and that complexity around living with that memory, living with that history, and how do you move forward with it. Extraordinary. So can you lead us into Chot Pearsat's work here? Called the Constant Traveler. So the Constant Traveler. So uh, I'll actually touch a little bit on the title. So mm-hmm. Chat was actually born in Cambodia, and he, as a refugee, he ended up in the U.S. I'm not. A, I don't remember the exact age that he was, but I think he was around eight or nine when he came to the U.S. Where he grew up, I think it was in Massachusetts. And um, so there's 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 a, this kind of this idea of the Constant Traveler, the nomad, and not being really located in any one place. And this is where. So this this actual work though is is produced was produced in Turkey, where um, he was exploring topics of relationships kind of layered together with identity, which is part of the larger themes in his work. The the body of work is actually produced as collage, and it's layered on top of an Italian comic book that was translated into Turkish in the 70s, and it was, it's credited as being part of the whole, one of the sexual, well, part of the sexual revolution of the 70s in the Turkey, which, like as I mentioned before, is, is, is kind of going a different direction these days. Um, but it was an important um, change socially and culturally. So in this, and in, in, in what, what I found in this work, but also in a lot of other chats work, especially in collage, he'll work with printed materials. So you'll have comic books, newspapers, magazines, and there's this kind of 
um, indelible truth around this yeah, idea of printed material. So it must be real. It must be true. This mm. is history. So, but instead, he's then re- reconstruct, deconstructed, and then reconstructed as a, in his own story, adding his layer of of his kind of fiction, his reality that then augments this truth and this history, and that makes it his own. So there's a sense of ownership. And um, again, like I mentioned before, there is there is this thread throughout his work about the the unheard, the the, the people who don't have voice, the marginalized, the the victims, the unknown names, the people that are never never accounted for, and the, the ones that are overlooked. So you you hear you hear this a lot throughout his work, the idea of the underdog. So in here you have this him as a as a, as a person, as an individual, as an artist who again who's asserting his own identity and his own story using printed material material and a way to kind of uh, subvert those those materials um, for his own 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 purposes his own story very interesting yeah. very interesting <laughs> okay. and where do you take us from here um, in the whole show do you sure. want to go through the whole thing let's, let's just touch on a couple of things okay um, I'm just I might just touch on a few highlights first of all can I just ask you looking yeah. back on the future you're really right. playing with time here that's aren't right. you yes that's exactly it and this is something that I, I found really interesting this idea the that you feel that, that within the present you have these multiple times that you're living in. And um, it's also kind of a, for me it was also to highlight this different way of thinking from the Western point of view and a more Eastern point of view, which mm-hmm. is a much more cyclical notion of time, whereas we have a very linear kind of chronological concept of this is what happens and then this is what happens and this is what happens. But for many, for, for many Cambodians, time works much more cyclically. There's always this coming back and coming back and coming back. So this is the work of Natsa Paul. She's a photographer, and she's quite young, so she's born after the war. Mm-hmm. And so um, for her, what she's dealing with mostly is social issues, economic issues, and then she reflects that through her work. As a photographer, she she does something we will we sometimes call like a performative portraiture. So each of the subjects, she asks them to, to kind of play out a role or an image or in a certain composition that is part of the theme that she's that she's talking about in mm-hmm. her work. Mm-hmm. So this series that we're looking at right here is called No Rice for Pot. This is actually an expression in Khmer. And of course, it, it refers to the need to fill your pot with rice so that you can feed your family. Yes. And she wants to talk about the role of women and of course how hard they work to, to feed their families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of in a similar tone, you, you see her work here called Hang On, where she's addressing the issue of labor and the need to take to sustain yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, in this series, all the faces are covered up, and it's something that has come out in her work several times, and it deals with the issue of censorship and anonymity. Ah, I see. I wondered about this. Yeah, so in... The, in, in, in a, a, it, it is an issue for many for many people. They don't feel like they can speak out. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't too long ago. In 2014, we had massive protests after the election, and um, because people were looking for better wages for for um, labor, and many of them were from the factories, so clothing factories. And then the protests became very violent, and actually several people were executed. So it, it's it's so this is so people are genuinely afraid. So speaking out for your to, for yourself is quite hard, and um, uh, so there's and this is 
and actually I have a talk later this weekend that talk, talks exactly about that issue and how artists use double meaning and other ways to talk about subjects without saying it directly. I see. So that's one of the great advantages of contemporary art because it's very, you can interpret it into so many different ways. And so this, the ambiguity is such a great tool for the artists. And I'm noticing here that these are very bold, but at the same right. time they're quite intimate. And of course, that's right. no rice for pot. Yeah. There, there seems to be a love affair between the women and their, their pots. pots. That's right. I yes. mean, this is the one thing they yeah. had, their one achievement. That's to be exactly able to it. do, and there is so much longing and suffering, but yet yeah. a sort of a kind of an ecstasy too in yes. their job. Right, right. It's, it's part of who they are, and they're actually proud of that mm-hmm. uh, for being women and being able to provide for their family. But right, it's, it's also a, it's a burden as well. Okay, all right. right. All right. We can all relate to. That's right, we can. <laughs> okay, where are you going to take us down? Um, I thought maybe I would. This is our this is our kind of our centerpiece. Yes, it um, is. This and, and I'm sure you have read about this one, but it is—it's quite a profound piece, and I think it's a great kind of touch point coming away from Sir Paul's work. So Sakon is older; he did live through the war, and um, for him, this is this is a peace offering. Essentially, this is a peace offering. The work itself is is made from a, an American par- parachute mm-hmm. that was dropped in Cambodia during the the bombings um, that happened around the Vietnam War time. Um, and this was he discovered this uh, parachute in his village pagoda they were using it as a tent for ceremonies <laughs> and so he he actually he managed to work with the pagoda to be able to take this piece anyhow so he ended up he he wanted to as part of, and then this is part of a large part of his work and the themes that he works with is converting this and transforming this object of violence this object of destruction into a, a an object of peace and beauty um, I'll just explain a little because there's actually a lot to talk about this piece, sure, but, but there's sure. there's something that's quite beautiful and profound about it. You'll see sewn onto the the parachute these little pieces of cloth. They're actually flowers cut from the traditional sampot. Mm, now the traditional sampot are wear, worn by women, and um, in his previous work that's actually connected to this one called Heavy Skirt, he worked with the sampot and created um, an installation out of this. So his mother was wearing this. And while she was pregnant with him, with him, that's right. So for for him, this is this extra layer. The heavy skirt was this additional. It was like an extension of the womb for him. Mm-hmm. So the the sampots and the the image of the flowers is in fact a reference to the womb, to the mother, to rebirth, to beauty, to peace, and to protection. Right. And so that's where he's actually applied this to the parachute, this object of destruction and invasion, as a way of saying, time to move forward. Mm-hmm. Let's create peace. This is the world we want. We have to acknowledge the past, but we want to live in peace. So again, layering and communication. Right. That's right. And this is so stark because we actually have a skull at the top. That's right. With looks like a GI hat, a, a, right. a bombing hat. That's right. And of course, then all sorts of medals in stark contrast yep. on on this military clothing. Yeah. There's the one more built. thing. Yeah. There's one other thing that's really interesting. It is not may not be obvious to everyone, mm-hmm. but this uh, this cross section here is actually, and then this embroidered piece around the middle, <coughs> they're actually part of dance costumes. So again, this is this. To, to creation, to beauty, to, to artistry. So it's, there's always that mix, that, that contradiction between the destruction and the creation. 
wonderful, Dana. <laughs> oh, this is wonderful. Well, thank you so much oh, for good. giving yeah. this to me. <laughs> yes, you are course. so insightful. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. I sat down with Arnshorn Pond and Flynn Gallery featured poet and visual artist Chat Persat to speak about their plight and survival with the Khmer Rouge. Two souls who should not be alive, but somehow found superhuman strength as children to survive a living hell. So for both of you, both being refugees, really, literally running from the Khmer Rouge, can you just give us in the West an opportunity to really feel what it was like being so young, losing everything, being taken into these work camps? Um, Did you have any rays of hope? Well, like for me, I think... For every uh, people, put people, group of people in the world, nobody wants to be a refugee. We we prefer to live live in peace um, in our homeland. But due to the war, the circumstances that that are now still going on around the world, uh, some people like us fled for safety, yes. and we we fled without knowing where. Uh, we would end up and we only hope that there would be other people on the other side who are compassionate and helpful to us as if uh, the same when Jesus was a refugee mm-hmm. and he was uh, he said that I was a refugee and you housed me you sheltered me and that's the kind of compassion that any um, group of people would hope for when we flee our homeland and nobody is we are a group of people that have very little choice in terms of how we didn't flee for economic reason or anything we fled because we fear for our lives We, we in the West don't have an understanding of this truly. Um, I know Arne, you know, the closest we can get, of course, is reading and, uh, well, we had it on, on the news every night, unfortunately, with, with the war and in Vietnam for us. But we, we've all seen the, the film The Killing Fields mm-hmm. and you literally lived that story. You, you fled um, the work labor camp uh, as a youngster. But first, before that, what saved you was being a musician. Am I right? Yes. I mean, the Khmer Rouge uh, forced us to, to play their revolutionary songs and dance. I mean, in the, mid, in the midst of killing, uh, massacring people, sometimes they used uh, uh, our music the sound of our music to uh, cover up the screaming behind us that they were killing people behind us. So, and many of our children were also forced to push people into the grave. I, I'm not sure why they were also targeted the, me. I knew that a uh, little bit that they, they think I have a whiter skin and longer fingernail, uh, not fingernail, like finger. Mm-hmm. My fingers were long, and they think I'm from middle-class family that were pro-Americans. So there are a lot of times I've heard the word Americans, uh, and they don't like Americans. They don't like the West. So anybody who even, uh, you know, have scar that were indicated that they were wearing glasses, mm-hmm. they were educated, they were targeted, they were slaughtered. So one million children died, starved, and were killed, and a quarter of the population of Cambodia, of 15 million, were 
uh, was, was slaughtered in, in like a pig, you know. Uh, they play games with death, you know, with the dead. Uh, sometimes they would put American helmet into a, a person while they were laughing, the, the dead. They put American helmet and put I cigarettes. See. So war always, you know, degradation, humility, and it, it, it was hell beyond words for all of us. I was only probably 12 years old. And then uh, they took the instruments away from me when uh, the Vietnamese invaded Cambodia in 1979. I was caught by the very people who also starved my, my brother, my little brother, my little sister, and killed some of my relatives, uh, the Khmer Rouge, uh, caught, uh, were forced to carry guns and yes. fight against the Vietnamese. So then you picked up a gun instead of a musical they instrument. Br they took the instruments away and they... I didn't pick up, they really shuffled it into your face. I saw if you didn't, you didn't know how to, some kids were scared mm -hmm. to take the gun from them, they, they got shot. So when it comes to me, I, I have to figure out how, whether I have to take it. Yeah. So uh, life or death every minute. And how, for how long a period did you carry again? I think probably uh, six months to a year, but uh, I was living in a jungle part of my time. I ran off from the line because I couldn't, uh, I couldn't uh, bear seeing, seeing many of my, my, uh, my friends. They were little, little kids like me. Mm -hmm shot left and death and shot left and right from me you know um, and you were being starved you you yeah, literally yeah. worked incredibly long hours that are inhuman we were in full war now after that we we mm -hmm. had to recover they they found out that they kept they had to the Khmeru had to give us some a little more food to to first to play music to dance mm -hmm. and then to, to be the soldier my gosh and what, what kind of strength did you have as a child to literally drop your gun and run away? Well, it was very hard. It was also, a, 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 I felt like the Khmer Rouge uh, can read your mind. Uh, mm -hmm. Just to mm -hmm. decide, you have to hide from your own self. To whether you have to, at any moment, you have to decide to do it. And, it, it was just life and death situation, a decision that you made. So I'm not sure how I survived even in the jungle uh, of Cambodia. They Later on, people were like measuring, especially when the book uh, Never Fall Down uh, started it. And pa pa Patricia McCormick, is, you know, went to Cambodia, surprisingly to me, that she decided to go to Cambodia and, and, and experience what I had told her. Mm -hmm. I never, she said, no, I don't know what I can go to Cambodia, she told me in the beginning. But then she went, she calculated that we were zigzagging, walking, mm -hmm. um, like uh, 400 kilometers. 400 kilometers. kilometers in, in that part of the, uh, eastern Cam uh, Cambodia, mm -hmm. uh, in the jungle. So uh, six months to a year, almost like an, a, a lifetime for me, especially the, the life that I run off into the jungle but it's, by myself. It's almost unbelievable that you, you were successful, that you were able to survive. I wouldn't be here. If, if um, there were there was things that, uh, you know, the star, it wasn't star, starvation in the jungle itself, but mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of uh, 
like snakes and and uh, you know I was a little kid. I mean we didn't have proper clothing, mm -hmm. and I had cerebral malaria, and uh, also the leeches. There were both there's white leeches and black leeches in the jungle, especially the small snake. The the smallest they get, the poison they they they, they have. You wouldn't stand a chance. So, and on the top of that, we didn't even know that there that we we were we. I was hearing explosions, and as you may know now, that landmine is like mm -hmm. uh, more landmine buried in Cambodia, j just uh, um, a second to uh, Afghanistan, like millions of landmines that are still there today. So it's literally a miracle you 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 made this distance, <laughs> and you made it to Thailand. Yeah, to a refugee camp where I met my foster father, uh, Peter Pan, who, 1980, brought me to New Hampshire. Do Do you think that that was a sense of destiny? Do you think that you literally walked into his arms? That I this was a bit of a miracle, or maybe a, a, a just luck? I did not know, but uh, all of that, I think, happened, luck, or a design, or whatever you call it. But Peter also has his own story. I mean, he, he didn't go there just for a tourist or anything. Right. He, he visited his mom, uh, who was the uh, wife of the former ambassador from the United States to Thailand. He died there, and she ended up became a very good, very cl close friend of the Queen of Thailand, the powerhouse. And she, the, the queen asked her to live there, to stay there in the compound. So Peter, in 1979, with Peter Jr., almost my age, uh, he was uh, 12 years old, but Peter Jr. was like 100 pounds, I was like 30 pounds, you know, for a 14-year-old. So Peter went by accident uh, to, to, Thailand, to visit his mom, but heard about the refugees coming across the border from Cambodia, mm -hmm. and he heard that it was like, it, it, it was a killing field. Mm -hmm. But some people said that in Thailand, in Bangkok, people said that, no, no, it was economic refugee. They, they were starving, that's why they ran off from Cambodia. But there nobody, like Chad was saying, not, n nobody yet have recognized that Cambodia running, running away for their life because the Khmer Rouge killing field. Yes, and, yes. and America also say the same thing. That's why other countries follow America. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to take any refugees out of, of, of the camp. So my dad uh, literally stepped on us when we were in the camp. I mean, he's literally stepped on me and I put my arm around his neck. Uh, it was a white cloud like at that night and many, many children were, were drowned to death. And uh, I don't know what happened. The next morning he came back and just trying to, <laughs> there were many children, but he was trying to, uh, was trying to find, find me. Isn't that <laughs> yeah, so, so, so sometimes the meeting is meant to be. That's right. Yeah, like I think so. I think there's a certain synchronicity here too. Yeah. And it, indeed, uh, between you both. Um, but Chet, uh, how did this Khmer Rouge affect your life? How, how old were you when, when you were taken from your family? I was seven years old, and um, I didn't um, witness the kind of atrocity that I had witnessed. But in my area, there's um, uh, basically we had to work from uh, 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. And after 7 p.m., you have a meeting where you uh, you you meet, and then you get only one meal a day a day the entire 
So the meal is one ladle of rice porridge. And if you know what rice porridge is, it's basically um, a few grains of rice. Mm -hmm. It's like liquid. Mm -hmm. So you can just swallow in one gulp. You know, so, so that's all we... Uh, what I remember from my experience is the, the, the memory of hunger. Yes. So to this day, I still think of food. Like I'm, um, I would rather spend money on food, on good food than anything else. So for me, like um, food is always um, a luxury for me to yes. to have good food. To, yes. You know. I can imagine. So so my memory of hunger was what I was larger than anything yeah, else at that point. Yeah. And hunger is is very painful. I hope you will join me in my journey to convey to you all I have discovered through my association with the Flynn Gallery's Exposé of Cambodian Art. Please join me next week to continue my conversation with Arnjorn Pond and Chat Persat. And please go to flynngallery.com for more information about all of their marvelous events. And the curtain is down on Center Stage. <laughs>